If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Fighting in full or nonsense. The Stephen Housen Podcast. Meet in Manchester. Hello and welcome to the Stephen Housen Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since I've managed to get one up. I've had technical difficulties with Jimmy Conrad and with Adam McCullough as well. So I am delighted to tell you that I am joined by someone that is a massive inspiration to me. Someone who's an absolute expert in his field and someone who you might have had a sneak peek of yesterday if you managed to catch yesterday's vlog. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Keith Webber. How are you doing, mate? I'm really good, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a little bit of a background for everybody who's listening. Uh, Keith is a kettlebell expert. I think that's fair to say. Wouldn't you agree? I well, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, so I guess so that makes me an expert. Experience, experience makes you an expert. I guess I would be an expert. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I managed to get hold of Keith uh, in the most bizarrest of circumstances. I was looking through. Um, Keith's kettlebell workout is kind of well known because Joe Rogan's mentioned it a lot. I think you've actually been on Joe's podcast as well, haven't you? I was, yeah. Um, so Keith's kettlebell routine is kind of well known. Joe pushes it pretty hard, and I was on YouTube looking for a kettlebell routine to do. I was doing Keith's, which Keith hadn't uploaded. Someone's ripped it and uploaded it, and in the comments, Keith had replied to it, and Keith wasn't even being a dick in the comments. He just replied to someone in the comments, and I was like, oh, shit, this looks like the real Keith Webber. Clicked on it, gone on his account. You've obviously just made a YouTube channel now, which I think is a great idea, to put your own kettlebell stuff on there. How's that going for you? It's so brand new. Uh... So far, so good. Um, I get a few more subscribers every day, and apparently if I get, I'm kind of new at this, so apparently if I get 100 subscribers, I can customize the labeling on my site. Uh, yeah, I think you can then turn it to like Keith Webber kettlebells rather than like UCX0111, whatever. So yeah, um, if you're listening, go search for Keith Webber kettlebells. In fact, you know what? I'll put it in the show notes on the podcast, and I'll also tweet a link out as well. So Go help Keith get up there because at the moment, everybody else is using his kettlebell videos. Keith's the guy that you need to go and subscribe to, as I'm sure you've got some stuff planned to be coming out, some more stuff just directly for the YouTube channel. Is that right? Yeah. I, you know what? I, I came out with a YouTube channel because for years I just assumed that the instructional videos on the internet were fantastic and so people could get my videos and then if they were like, oh, how do you do that exercise? They could just look it up on YouTube and find it. So I started looking around, uh, and I realized that there is some good instruction out there, but a lot of it's not great. And so I thought, well, people know me through my videos. If I make some instructional videos, then at least I'm not saying my way is the best way, but it, it certainly is. Uh, I'm, I'm a physiotherapist, so I don't want to hurt anybody. So I think my way is safe and effective. So um and I've been teaching it for so long. I think I have a, a couple little tips and tricks to make it a little bit easier to learn. So, 
But I've never done an instructional uh, workout video ever. Um, I was a professional rugby player for five years. We obviously have a lot of guided instruction uh, through the clubs and things like that. And I was in the army for seven years, and obviously that's a lot of instructor-led PT. I've, my girlfriend was always big into like the Ministry of Sound dance fitness DVDs and stuff like that. But I've never watched instructional DVDs until I found yours, and I find it easy to follow i like the pace the instructions good the challenges are good and let's face it kettlebells might be the manliest exercise that you possibly can do isn't it yeah it's very <laughs> yeah they, they are manly and it was funny i was uh i went for a run this morning so i could clear my mind and have some good things to say on this video and i was thinking about uh the beginning of the podcast with joe and I didn't know what to expect going into there, but um, I think he mentioned something like that, how manly kettlebell training is. And I wanted to say something like, most of the people that do my class are women. Huh. And and I wanted to continue by saying that, uh, you know, like we, sit, we think of kettlebells as such a manly exercise, but women by and large, at least in our society, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys in England, they're the ones that are more likely to push themselves. It seems like there's a lot more societal pressure for them to look a certain way. And it seems like once guys get to a certain point, unless they need it for psychological reasons or whatever, they, they kind of just throw in the towel and say, well, I'm a middle-aged guy and I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to go golfing and maybe uh, play the odd game of soccer or hockey or whatever, but I'm not going to actually work out. I mean, there's only a very few people that, seem to uh, want to push themselves to that limit that are guys. But middle-aged women, my God, these women are just, uh, they're, as far as like the classes that I teach in Red Deer, I'm not sure, as, as far as buying my videos, I think probably by and large is, you know, maybe younger guys that want to be in good shape. But uh, from, yeah, from where I live, it's it's mostly middle-aged women. It's, and Joe made a crack, and this is when I realized that, okay, this podcast is going to go off the rails in a hurry because he's just <laughs> going to take the piss out of me for two hours and he said something like well that's because you've got the blonde hair going and and they want to get with you like, oh, look at and i thought he is so funny like he's so good at uh just bugging the shit out of you and he bugged the hell out of me for about two hours and uh but i think i got the message across but yeah that was that was quite the experience but i was sort of in a state of shock for the first few minutes because i thought i had never been on a podcast before so but uh, yes, going back to what we were talking about, it is, it's very manly training and it's very hard. And the thing about it though is you don't need a heavy weight to make it hard. And so I think there's a huge safety factor involved with it uh, compared to a lot of different types of exercise that you could choose. So um, yeah, it's uh, before I started doing kettlebells, uh, I tried to do manly workouts. Like uh, to, I, I remember trying to do when I was 30, doing these Tabata sprints where you you know, you sprint 100 meters and then you take a 10-second rest and yeah, sprint. Yeah, yeah. You do that 10 or 8 times, right? I couldn't do it. I, I mean, I, I literally couldn't do it. And now I'm, I mean, my, I'm middle-aged, let's say that. And uh, <laughs> I can do that kind of stuff after doing kettlebells all these years. And, uh, you know, the, the weight I use in the first two videos is a 20-kilogram, which relative to my body weight isn't that much, really. But, oh, my God, it kicks your ass. And uh, so I think that's where the safety factor comes in. You're not using that huge of a weight, uh, but you're getting with all the momentum, with the exercises and the stabilization and, you know, having this thing on one side of your body trying to pull you off to the side. 
it's just it's a fantastic way to really elevate your heart rate without any impact. Uh, Twenty is what I use as well, um, and it does absolutely kick my ass. Like, um, if I do your video, I probably have to pause it twice a couple of times for like for like ten, fifteen seconds or something just to catch my breath back. Usually, um, especially I'm, I'm doing day one at the moment, so there's a, there's the the one where you pass it through your legs doing lunges. That one absolutely ruins me, and I have to pause it after that. Um, and I, I have to um, I have to pause usually doing the windmills as well because I think. I can't do them. Twenty kg for the windmills, I think, might be too much for me. So I might, I might get a smaller one, like a twelve or something, for doing the windmills because I just can't do them. It feels like I'm going to drop it on my head when I do them. Well, hopefully, the stuff I put on YouTube will help with that because I give a few tips and tricks on the windmill because there's a few common mistakes that guys make, and it's a real a hip angle issue. It's not a strength issue. It's more there's a a real subtle uh, change between, you know, bending off to the side hmm. or bending more forwards, almost like you're doing like a Romanian deadlift or something like that. And it could be a, a few degrees of twist that makes all the difference in the world. And uh, I hope I explained that well enough. You'll have to let me know on the YouTube video. Cause... Yeah, I go quite far forward on it, and I know that I should be going further to the side. It just feels like that's the way I'm going, and there's not hmm. a lot I can do about it. <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a, there's some. I think you'll like the video. There's a lot of. I think a lot of people should be going more forward, and tensing their lat, sticking their hip out. Um, if you set that exercise up properly, you should be halfway there by the time you start your descent. So, it's. Uh, I'm sure it's not a strength issue with you. If you're using a 20 kilogram for the video, it's more of a technique thing that probably one little correction will just have you. Uh, Kettlebells is the only thing I'm currently doing for cardio. Um, I can't run. I've got compartment syndrome and I've got bad knees from years of army and rugby stuff. So my uh, my calves fill up with blood and they did become almost like like wooden. They're, they're so solid. So I can't do any form of running at all. And I've tried to play a couple of games of rugby at amateur level. I last about five or six minutes um, and then I just can't run anymore. So the, literally I do a bit of rowing and I do a bit of... Um, I do a bit of kettlebells for cardio, and that's the only cardio I can do. And I've I've put on a right load of weight since because I like beer and I like pizzas, and I do overeat. <laughs> um, but the weight training that I've done since doing that is mostly Olympic stuff. I do quite a lot of powerlifting. I do quite a lot of compound stuff. So I mean, I start pretty much every day with deadlifts. Um, so I, I do think I'm fairly strong. So 20 kgs. It isn't too much for me in terms of the general movements, but it's just that. Um, just the windmills, it just kills me for some reason. It's just, I'm also not that flexible, which I think is probably partly down to it. <laughs> well, you know what? If it's any consolation, Joe told me that he uses a 16 kilo for the first two videos, which surprised me because he is, uh, he is thick. Like, he is a strong guy, you can tell. Yeah. So. There's some video of him recently using the Gorilla Kettlebell, which I think is about 26 or 28 kg, I think, isn't it? Uh, I actually, I just saw one the other day. It might be, it might be a thirty-two. Ooh, that's a big boy. If it's the big gorilla one, <laughs> the one I saw, it was thirty-two kilos, and uh, yeah, that's wow. See that that shouldn't be. And I know um, you've mentioned it a few times. Joe's mentioned it a few times when talking about don't let your ego get in the way when you're talking about kettlebells because a small kettlebell will ruin you. Um, <laughs> I do, uh, 
I do about 130 kilogram for a bench press for 10. I'm trying to get up to about 150 for 10. I do about 240 for deadlifts and a 20 kilogram kettlebell. Like I was doing good mornings yesterday, my back's sore today, just from doing good mornings <laughs> with a 20 kg. And you're like, this shouldn't happen. Yeah. That, that's yeah. what I love about kettlebells is that, I mean, I don't, I don't take it anywhere with me. It literally just stays by the back door and I go and do them in the garden. That's what I love about the flexibility of, of kettlebells. Um, I don't think there's enough people that really working out of them. And that's why I like the instructionals for them as well, because I think it's just one of those things that they're in every gym or they're getting yes. to be in every gym. People just don't know what the fuck they're doing with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, like, and I think there's so much stuff out there and there's so much stuff with people's in people's lives and, and they're told to eat this and not eat that and do this stretch and do yoga and do all this. And, and when it comes to kettlebells, yeah, they don't have any idea. And there's not a lot of great videos out there that you can just plug in like the, I don't know, P90X or whatever and just follow along and say, okay, well, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And I think people need that because – and that's why a lot – especially women. Women love doing group classes because they can just turn their brains off and forget about everything and mm -hmm. have someone else tell them what to do. Same with CrossFit. That's a good example. People have the programming done for them yeah. and uh, – yeah, so it's it is it's true. I go to I love going to commercial gyms every once in a while, and I see these kettlebells sitting there. And occasionally, I'll see someone pick it up, and more often than not, they're doing the swing, of course. And they just and I'm not going to go over there and be that guy and say, "Hey, you should do it this way," because no one likes that. And uh, but oh man, like I just there's a few little tweaks that can make that so much more effective. How did you get into kettlebells? Well, I was. Uh, and I'll try not to drag this story on too long because I listen to podcasts a lot. And when people start telling their life story, it's like fast forward. So I won't uh, make this my life story. But uh, I, we had kids. I started working out at home. Got tired of doing bench press, squats, and pull-ups. And back, uh, back in the early 2000s, there was a magazine called Muscle Media 2000. And they had like the Body for Life Challenge and all this kind of stuff. So it was a pretty good magazine compared to a lot of the ones out there. And I started noticing these little articles appearing from this guy named Pavel Satsulin. And they were all really cool. They were all like hardcore, all about lifting heavy and not being a, a wuss and being a man. And like, <laughs> and his articles were like such a stark contrast to all the other articles in the magazine. I was like... That's all. the only reason I kept buying the magazine. I'm like, I can't just see, wait to see what this guy says. And then he started to come out with ads for these books that he had. So the first book I bought from him was called Power to the People. And I'd never uh, done deadlifts before in my life. Um, I'm ashamed to say that. Uh, <laughs> I always thought the only guys that did deadlifts were like the super strong guys with knee wraps. And, you know, you see them in this haze of chalk in the corner of the gym. And, you know, I was like, I can't do deadlifts. I mean, I'm not like that. And... Uh, his book called for two exercises, the bent press with the 45-pound, uh, you know, seven-foot-long Olympic bar, mm. one arm, basically a one-arm shoulder press, and then uh, the deadlift. And I'm like, oh. And he didn't look bad, like one of these guys with no necks. So and the, and he was doing that program. with kettlebells, was he? Well, you know, he was actually, this was all just a barbell program. Right. Now, this, and then I, <laughs> so a few months later, after I'd been doing this this program, and I thought, geez, I can actually this kettle or this uh, deadlifting stuff is really cool. And I, for the first time in my life, I think I started doing some lower rep lifting instead of like just pure bodybuilding pump up type stuff. And, uh, and then I started noticing these ads for kettlebells. So back then there was only DV or uh, 
there's no such thing as DVDs. There were VHS tapes. So I ordered this VHS tape from the States. Took I think it took a month to get to me, and I plopped it into my player, and this guy's doing this. He's got this immense kettlebell, and he's doing these, like, really cool-looking exercises, and you can hear his joints cracking as he's doing it. And I thought, oh, my God, i got to learn how to do this. So I had to wait patiently till the next summer because we always go down – to the states for holidays and they didn't ship kettlebells to canada at this point so my first two kettlebells were a 16 kilo and a 24 kilo and i beat myself into oblivion with these kettlebells for about a year before i went down and took the instructor's course in minnesota with pavel himself and uh fell in love well (laughs) i i went down there with like sore elbows or wrists or low back and then after the first day of the program or the course i thought oh well good God, no wonder I'm sore. Like I'm doing it completely. I'm, I'm doing it relatively right. Like I was kind of like the guys in the gym I see now, Hmm. but, uh, I wasn't doing, I was doing it just wrong enough to like tear the lower back muscles into shreds and to wreck my elbows. And like my shoulders were just a mess. Hey, but I still love them because it gave me such a great rush. Right. So, and then I started teaching them. I thought, you know what? These are actually safe. Like I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to see if other people like this kind of thing. So I started doing uh, some teaching just with people that I would treat. I'd say, you know, you want to check out this kettlebell thing, you know? And it started from there. And I knew that I was on to something that I think the second year I started telling people about it. I had a whole bunch of kettlebells made at a foundry near my house. And uh, I had 50 people in the field of a playground at one time learning how to do these kettlebells. And I don't live in a very big city, but I thought, hmm, okay, there's definitely something. And this was before CrossFit and all these other uh, types of extra, TRX and all these things. It was just, uh, so I kind of went from there and then I started teaching classes. And then people started saying, well, I can't come to your class all the time. You should do a video. And I was like, I'm not doing a video. Like, God, can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Like, to be, like, people will hate it. People will think I'm a loser. Like, all these (laughs) things go through your head when you're thinking of doing a video. And then, Eventually, I thought, ah, what the heck, I'm going to try it out, see what happens. And it ended up being kind of, uh, I would say the first video was my greatest hits of all the, I sort of distilled all the classes I did for five years into like all my kind of favorite routines onto this one video. And it just happened to be an hour and my classes are all an hour. And I didn't even time it. My wife filmed it on a beach in Mexico and uh, it just ended up being 58 minutes, like crazy. So I was going to ask where you filmed possible. that because it doesn't look like Canada. <laughs> no, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, Playa del Carmen in Mexico. And the funny thing was, have you been to Mexico? I mean, uh, I'm sure you've been to much nicer beaches. I've not, no. Uh, it's pretty crowded. So I had to walk about two miles with this uh, kettlebell in this backpack. And I remember just being in a miserable mood. And I left it, of course, to the last minute. I think that... Two days before we had to go home, I'm like, okay, I'm fine. I think I finally have the masterpiece. You know, like it's here, it is. Let's do this. And we walked all the way to the end of this beach where there weren't as many people, and uh, filmed it. I buried the kettlebell because I had this sneaking suspicion that something wasn't right. And got back to the room, looked at it, couldn't hear a thing. The wind noise was so severe, <laughs> and I was doing it way too quickly. And I thought, okay, no one's going to be able to keep up. And no one's going to hear what I'm saying. So we went back the next day and I have my hands or calluses are ripped off and I've got like swollen wrists and I'm just, cause we did a couple takes. And so I, I did it all in one take. We had like breaks in between each chapter, 
but it slowed me down and I had my wife hide behind this huge boulder and it kind of cut down the window. It's so low tech. It's brutal. It's, and it's, it is, it's a really low tech video, but <laughs> I hope it captures the essence of kettlebells. Cause it is like kind of like a raw form of exercise and it's not fancy. And it's just, it's, uh, and well, yeah, I hope you don't need music. You don't need a multi-camera shoot. You, you literally just needed you doing the exercises with the explanation. And that is enough. It clearly is yeah. enough. Well, and I, I think like whenever I do my own video, because I use it as a benchmark workout. If I can do my whole video with a 20 kilogram weight without hitting pause once, I'm in pretty good shape. And that's, it takes some work to get there. Like I have to hit pause a couple times too, typically. And uh, if I can work myself up to where I can throw that thing in, <laughs> it's, uh, I know I'm in good shape. Like I'm in good enough shape that I could do a triathlon and kick butt. I could uh, do a CrossFit workout and fit right in and you know go for a run do a swim across a lake like it's just it prepares you for everything it's incredible yeah i'm not at the stage where i can do that yet i'm at the stage where i have to pause it a couple of times and then when i'm done i have to like text some people for moral support and i need a cuddle and a nap <laughs> it's it honestly it's there's been times when i've let myself go a little bit and i'm laying on the gym floor and my kids come in and they're like, they see my video playing. They're like, you can't even do your own video, Dad. What, why are you such a wimp now? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no kidding. So it keeps me in check because I don't want the young me to beat the old me. So it's. Uh, I suppose it is a good personal marker for yourself, isn't it? You know what you, level you was at to finish the video. So you've always got that as a, a bookmark and a benchmark. Yeah, like, and I, I just, I know the day is going to come where I won't be able to do it. But as long as I can... I'm going to try, right? And uh, so it's nice to have. I don't do it all the time because I think if you do anything too much, it, it, that's why I made the other two videos. I thought, my God, I'm, people are going to get bored of this thing. We need to have some variety here. But I love what you said about your knees and your compartment syndrome. And I think that might be my favorite thing about kettlebells is you could be pretty messed up and still have a wicked VO2 max because you don't need to run. You know, My you can... VO2 is not what it was. Um, <laughs> I do a little bit of MMA training. I do jits at the moment as well. And I know I, I gas out pretty quick. Um, but I'm, I'm just under £250 at the moment as well. And uh, when I had, I had one MMA fight. And when I had that MMA fight, I was 170. So I'm, I'm, nearly, I'm nearly £80 on top of that. So it's a lot for my engine to take. So <laughs> cardio-wise, I'm nowhere near what I used to be. There's a lot of body fat in that, but I think there's also a lot of mass in that as well. That isn't body fat because I've yeah. been doing a lot of powerlifting since. So I think I'm a, I'm a whole lot stronger. But in terms of gas tank, I haven't got one. I used to be able to do seven-minute rounds. I won't even get to the end of a three-minute round at the moment. Now, how long ago did you play professional rugby? Oh, man. I mean, um, soccer. Uh, no, it was, it was rugby. Um, it was rugby. From 16 to 21, it was 11 years ago I finished. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And I was in, I was in pretty good shape then. Yeah, and I left the army 2009, so uh, seven years ago. So you know what it's like to be in good shape. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was in great shape uh, during them times. Um, and I had compartment syndrome then, and I didn't know it. I thought it was shin splints. I was constantly getting an ache in my calves and in my shins. Uh, but it was manageable because um, I was around about, I was probably about 185, somewhere around there. But I think since I put a lot more weight on and carrying all that mass, that yeah. the threshold, whereas I might be able to run for an hour, maybe an hour 20, and 
I would be in pain, but I would be able to push through it. Whereas now it comes on after five or six minutes and I, I just can't handle it. And I think that's because of the extra weight that I'm carrying, which mm-hmm. is a, a vicious circle at the end. You find yourself in then. I can't go running. I used to run two miles every day when I was in the army. Uh, and that was before starting work, if you like, for the army. Me and my friend would get up at six o'clock. We'd go for a run, get a shower, and then go and start army work, which might involve running or something along those lines. I used to enjoy running. Now, you know, I can't even run commentary at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I... Um, I, I don't well, like it no more at all. I've tried doing bike riding, but I don't like it. Um, rowing's about the only one I can stomach, but I, I've still got it in my head that I can go you know, and do like a, a 140, 500-meter split, which completely fucking ruins you for more than a couple <laughs> of laps. <laughs> I haven't gotten into rowing. I, uh, I have a nice rowing machine at our clinic that uh, I need to. I might need to talk to you about this and, because everyone I've talked to said that it is one ass-kicking workout. It'll kick your ass in a minute. Well, if you do, is it a Concept 2 rower? Yes. On a Concept 2, when you start rowing, one of the options that you've got, it'll give you a split for 500 metres. Most people, just at an easy pace, will row around about 152 minutes as a split for the 500 metres. If you put it on number 10, so that's it's actually quite hard to pull it as well, Yep. If you go for 500 meters or go for a kilometer uh, and try and get it down to about 130, 132, you're going to be in absolute shit state by the time <laughs> that you get the, to the end. And, and I've seen people like collapse and stuff by doing like a 130 split on them. And I can't even, it's, it's just a pure sprint, isn't it? It's like sprinting 100 meter level style sprinting, but doing it for, you know, four, five, 600 meters. That's the speed you're going. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You think, you know, I mean, if you look at 100-meter runners, they're out of breath, aren't they, by the time they get to the end of the line? It's only 10 seconds. So yeah. it's, it's like that. It's like a, like a four- or a 600-meter sprint, but it's balls out, and it, it's, it's awesome. And obviously, there's no impact where that you get on your knees or anything like that, but, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. And do you uh, do repeats of this then, or is it sort of a one-time thing and you're done? I haven't done it for a while. Uh, we used to do five rounds of it with a minute off in between. <laughs> one of the rugby teams that I played for used to have you punching a punch bag, um, doing press ups, and then the concept two rower, and you would like go do like a bit of a circuit, and you would yeah. go stations of that, and it was horrific. Huh. One of the hardest things. I, I bet. Yeah, you're just full of lactic acid and just oh my god. Yeah, you get it in your biceps from the constant pulling. You get it in your quads from the from the pushing, your heart's beating out of your chest, you, you're sucking oxygen. In fact, the army used to do this, um, this competition, which was really cool. They would put it in the, in the sports hall of the gym and they would link up about eight or nine, maybe 10 of the Concept 2 rowers up to a laptop and then use a projector onto the screen and they would have races. Um, so they might do like a 1,000 meter sprint, they might do a 5K or a 10K and then they would have all different units and regiments would come and you, uh, we even did a relay one as well where you'd have to jump on and off. Uh, and it was wicked. And on, a, on the screen ahead of you, like a, a massive big projector screen, they would, um, they would show where your um, rowing boat was in relation to all the rest of them. So you've got a visual representation of how far ahead or behind you are. Well, yeah, that, that was good. That was, um, my regiment actually won it. So I'm actually technically a rowing champion. <laughs> we, we won it once but yeah that was like the only time I've ever competed in it and it wasn't in a boat it was in a gym <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh, yeah that that 
sense of competition that absolutely jacks it up at a level doesn't it it's yeah amazing. big time the row so is this, awesome sorry go ahead no sorry i was just gonna say it's, it's awesome the row is quality but yeah it killed you. okay well that's that's inspired me to get going on this because i've looked at it you know and it's it we have a studio at the where we do our kettlebell classes at my clinic and uh yeah i look at it and i think geez i should try that thing out but you know I'm, i get easily distracted or i'll go back to my kettlebells or I, and i can run right now um, but actually speaking of that, so you've done a lot of high intensity interval training, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you look at anything like a lot of, like that's the trend again on the internet, it's, it's come back full circle again. Now we're back to high intensity training is the way to burn fat and change your body composition and running is it's out again. If you're, if you want to be skinny and weak, be, you know, the run mm-hmm. and it's like these primal like the there's primal fitness guys and these paleo guys, they think running is just an idiotic thing. But a few years ago, when the book Born to Run came out, running was really cool again. And uh, but I, I think from my experience, and I don't know if you've noticed this yourself, but if you really want to drop your body weight, uh, and you've been you you've been a professional runner basically, uh, would you agree that like longer distance running is the way to go? Because I, I find if I want to drop some weight quick just do do a few long runs during the week with some intervals in between um i've never really well i've never really been successful in dropping a massive amount of weight except for diet diet always seems to be the the one that um has the most impact whenever i've done anything i, I can drop quite a few pounds you know maybe eight nine pound in a month uh, with a decent diet um but not you're talking high protein low carbs that kind of thing yeah, basically the the paleo-ish yeah. diet. I, yeah. I, I actually eat fairly paleo-ish anyway. It's just that I drink quite a lot of beer, and then over weekend yeah. I'll go fucking mad with pizzas and stuff. Um, which is, and I, I'm also pretty much addicted, I think, to energy drinks, which I know is bad, but I just love the <laughs> taste of them. We get along well. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> I uh, eat pretty good during the week, and I'm very much uh, i I like the idea. I don't like eating bread like bread to me is a fun thing to eat uh chips are fun uh like i'd rather eat chips than bread um <laughs> i'd rather drink beer than eat uh porridge i'd rather you know like i try to pick and choose my carbohydrate poisons and i try to like sort of save up for the weekend and i love i love pizza i love all that kind of crap it's uh makes life worth living and i love beer too i mean yeah. i'm canadian so i mean i'm sure that we have that in common so. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It literally just is that. If I could miss the weekends out, like during the week, I can I can eat a decent breakfast. I could even just eat a tin of tuna for for breakfast, which is yeah. fine. I'll have a salad pretty much every dinner time, and then you know I'll have a fairly sensible evening meal most of the time. But weekends, I'll I'll go pizza, curry, and I'm, I know that it's doing me in, um, and it end, ends up being a, a, a vicious cycle. I can train pretty regular, and it yeah. have no effect on um no effect on my body whatsoever or i can train um i can train really sporadically but have my diet on point and and the weight just fall off me at the moment i'm i'm kind of a, a few weeks into to really ramping it up in the gym i train every single morning uh, that's the first thing i do every single morning is i go and train and i am doing the more bodybuilder type weight stuff mostly yeah. low rep really high weight like in the four to six sort of rep range for yeah. weights. And then for, for my cardio type stuff, I'm doing 
MMA or I'm doing um, jiu-jitsu for, for the most part, which I really enjoy both of those. I really enjoy the learning aspect of jiu-jitsu because mentally it's, it's so taxing. It feels like overwhelming at times with the amount of stuff to learn, uh, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm exercising when I'm doing it. I don't feel like I'm... Do you know, it doesn't feel like a yeah. chore. It doesn't feel like... For, for me, going for running was a bit of a chore, whereas this yeah. doesn't feel like a chore. So I feel like I'm exercising a plenty. I just need to sort my diet out and be more consistent with my diet, and I'll probably get down to a decent sort of shape again. I reckon if I, I don't reckon I could get under 200, I don't think at the moment without real strict everything. But I reckon I could get 20, 30 pound off, no problem. Wow. Huh. Yeah, and you know it is true. Like there is certain metabolisms, right? I mean, there are certain guys that you can probably put on muscle like crazy, uh, like. Yeah, you have a naturally high body mass set point, almost you could say. Mm. So, whereas I'm, I'm, if I didn't work out all the time, uh, I'd be the opposite. I turn into uh, the skinny fat guy. I'd be <laughs> like, um, it's it's awful. And I, nope, oh, I lost you. I'm bike, run, repeat, and no delts to speak just awful just an awful i didn't want to take my shirt off in the summer i just my arms shrunk up uh, i just it's a it's in a terrible sight and so i'm i'm trying to get in between those two uh realms right where i stay like i look like i work out and i feel like i work out because i feel a lot better when i have some muscle but still keep the cardio going and so it's, uh, I know a lot of guys I play hockey with that played really high level hockey. They, they have this genetic predisposition to be like big and strong, probably the same as you. And then there's some guys like me that are probably better suited to doing longer distance cardio type stuff. But uh, I, I definitely think there's a type. I'm definitely in that rugby t- player type. Like I've got a thick ass, I've got thick quads, I've got a thick neck and a, a thick back. Uh, I think, I don't know if he, people gravitate to the sport that they're. <laughs> that they're built for if you know what I mean if I wanted to be a marathon runner no matter how much training I did it's never going to work is it I'm not built like um, you know like a an East African runner it's just not in my makeup no I'm more likely to be a sprinter than a a long distance runner do you think people gravitate to that to what they're they're like or do you think uh, some of it is molded by the sports that you do you know what I agree with you it's uh you gravitate towards what you're good at um because i know guys like you that uh <laughs> have done multiple ironmans and they're they never get skinny right they're always like this big muscular dude uh doing an ironman in like 15 to 18 hours like and i've i have a 20 pound weighted vest and sometimes i've got some stairs near my house and I'll do the stairs with that vest. And 20 pounds, so that makes me about, I don't know, maybe 185, 190 pounds. And holy man, 20 extra pounds is incredible. So, uh, yeah, like, and if I was to go out and try to play a sport like rugby, uh, I could probably be one of those guys that stand. My son plays rugby. I could a wing i could probably be one of those guys that you know throws the ball away just before he gets crushed by someone (laughs) like you but i'd never be the guy in the middle of the scrum no matter how much protein i ate or uh you know how much supplements i took i'm i'm sure that i would still be like you know the smaller weaker of the uh 
the human species. <laughs> the the ironic thing is, when I was um, 16 and 17 and 18, and I was in, in academies as a rugby player, I couldn't put weight on for toffee. I was doing squats and deadlifts, so my teeth fell out. I was, I was drinking protein shakes five times a day, and I couldn't put a, an ounce on. And then as soon as I left the army, I, I just put a fucking ton of weight on. Um, good and bad weight, both both good mm-hmm. and bad weight it just fucking I don't know if that was because uh, obviously I wasn't doing anywhere near the amount of cardio that I was doing in the army you basically do something every single day usually you know four to six mile at least every single day and I think that that probably has a big part to play in it but uh, yeah I noticed when I um, when I went back after I left the army a couple of years after I left the army and I was maybe 16 17 stone um, what's that in pounds probably about 225 230 I was tackling yeah. people and it felt like there was nothing there when I was tackling people compared to when I was tackling people when I was 170, 175, something like that. I was just absolutely going through people. It felt awesome. It's just that I couldn't run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that fine line, eh? It's, uh, uh, yeah, so- I'll give you four minutes of fury and then you're going to have to take me off. <laughs> <laughs> So now, I have a theory about that, though. Like, what is, so what does your dad look like? Is um, your dad a big guy? My dad's short, but um, yep. he was born premature. All his brothers are um, pretty tall and, and quite broad. He's quite broad, but he's only short. He played rugby as well. He's about 5'7". Okay. Yeah. Because I have this theory that around the age of 30, you know how they say women become their mothers? Yeah. That, which... Pretty hard to argue that. Like a lot of times, uh, I think guys become their dads, but it takes till about the age of your late twenties, early thirties. All of a sudden, boom! Like you're going to become your dad. Like I have a friend that was thin as a rail through high school, and he worked out all the time. I remember uh, staying over at his place when we were like little kids, and he would be doing like leg raises in bed. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to get a six pack, and you know, when you're 14 years old, and he was just. Uh, and then he actually lives in London, England now, and I hadn't seen him in about, I don't know, eight years, and he came back for a visit, and I'm, <laughs> I had to do a double take, because I'm like, whoa, like, his dad is like this big, burly guy, and he had become his dad, it was incredible, he, he, he morphed into this, like, big giant, so, although his diet is, uh, would make our diets look really clean, but he's, uh, yeah, he's, I see that with a lot of guys. Like they're, and I, I treat a lot of like young athletes, and they're like, "I want to put on weight. How do I put on weight?" I'm like, "Don't worry, you will." Yeah, Christ, <laughs> like, don't worry, you would definitely will. Yeah, I mean, there was there was nothing on me at sixteen, seventeen at all. Yeah, um, we did a body fat measure once with the the Great Britain rugby team. I was the second lowest in the team, and I yeah. can't even imagine what that'd be like now. And the guy below me, the only one that was below me, was a guy that worked in a gym. And he had like 4% body fat. And he was like, you need to put a bit more body fat on me because it's not going to be good yeah. for you. <laughs> he, was, he was unbelievably shredded, like permanently. Yeah. And, you know, probably taking some Mexican supplements, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. That was- <laughs> <laughs> so how does um, physiotherapy line up with kettlebells? Because I've heard you mention a couple of times as we've been talking about how safe kettlebells are. Yeah. But... In my head, when I first think of kettlebells, and I'm sure people who don't know what they are, when they're thinking about kettlebells, they think of the CrossFit style of doing kettlebells, which seems like it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, well, you know, like I think a lot of people think about the CrossFit. The, the, what are they called? The American style swing, <laughs> where oh, you swing it right actually. over your head. All oh, right, yeah, the full swing. I'd call it a full swing. A full swing, okay. Um, yeah, there's like supposedly the Russian swing where you you know you swing it up to your chest and you yank it back down like you're hiking a football back to the quarterback and repeat until you you know fall over and then the american style swing where there's that pause or the the full swing where you pause at the top and then you come back down and i've done both and you know i actually have a different opinion of the american style swing now that i think if you're healthy and you're a good athlete and you have good coordination it's a good way to do the swing in the sense that you have to have a lot more explosiveness coming out of the hole compared to the Russian style swing, which is a lot more flowing and a lot more, uh, you're using your hamstrings almost to, to stretch your hamstrings and then blast that kettlebell up. Whereas with the, uh, the full swing, you really have to, it's almost like doing a vertical jump out of the hole to get that thing launched over your head. Uh, but as a safe safety wise, yeah, I, I don't think it's the safest way to do it. Um, but from a physio perspective, I, I do like the kettlebells for what, like for someone like you, right? You want to be fit. Uh, you have compartment syndrome, which I want to talk to you about after. Uh, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> um, you know, you can't run, and and your knees are shot. And I'm sure this is fixable stuff. Uh, if I could get a hold of you, I might have to fly over there and see you. But um, it's uh, it's great. Like I I know when I did the first, no, the, I think the first video. I think I had like. A, no, the third video, I had a really busted up knee from surfing. I got crushed by a wave, and I actually strained my ACL really bad. But, you know, I could still do kettlebells. I could still film the video. And, uh, yeah, my first video, I think I sprained my ankle playing tennis really bad. But I could still do kettlebells, right? Because I'm not jumping around or doing any – like from a purely uh, – like a, a getting your heart rate up in a hurry standpoint, kettlebells mm. are just a great way to go if you have some musculoskeletal issues. And then the other thing I like about it is um, you can, uh, in order to do a lot of the exercises, you have to have pretty good mobility. Like to do an overhead squat, you have to have a pretty healthy shoulder. To do a windmill, you have to have a healthy shoulder. To do a Turkish getup, you have to have a healthy shoulder. And a lot of people, (laughs) we were talking about what type of exercise you gravitate towards. A lot of people don't gravitate gravitate towards you know like say a a complete bodybuilding type program because they don't like to press overhead because their shoulders are so stiff from sitting at a desk so you'll see a lot of guys in the gym that don't do a ton of work on their shoulders do lots of you know chest and arms and that kind of thing and chest and biceps every single day in all the gyms i go to it's yeah it's i mean and it is i admit like if i don't feel like working out i'll just go do chest and arms (laughs) because then because it's you know, I can look in the mirror and think, wow, yeah, look it's, at me. it's the sexy muscles, isn't it? No one, everyone will go to bicep curls 100 times out of 100 before they do a Turkish get-up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, and you know, and I don't know what it is about the Turkish get-up, because it is an easy exercise to heat, but I think it's kind of uh, the same as burpees, in the sense that you're getting up from the floor, and, and you're standing up and getting back down. And there must be something about the blood sloshing around in your body and your heart having to work hard, and there must be some primitive part of our brain that says oh my god like this is really hard even though you're just getting up and down from the yeah. floor it's Get, certainly getting up off the floor in rugby when you've been tackled in mma when you've been taken down in jits when you've been taken down in burpees in turkish get-ups 
getting up off the floor is the hardest thing to do, and I don't know why it is. Yeah, there's actually a study, a few studies now that indicate that uh, a good predictor for I don't know if it's lifespan or your how functionally you're going to be in old age is how well you can get up off the floor. Like oh, if you can get up off the floor man. and put using your hands, that's <laughs> <laughs> a good sign. <laughs> what about if you have to make a noise when you get up? Because I have to make a noise. <laughs> well, you know what? That reminds me of the first time I went down to take uh, my kettlebell instructor's course. On Pavel's videos, uh, he uses a lot of the power breathing. So it's there's a lot of when he's lifting heavy he'll do like and same thing with how when guys box when they punch they'll they'll do the you know that type of breathing and so when I got to the uh, the course I noticed that a lot of his disciples they would pick up a ten pound kettlebell and they do the you know and it's just like come on guys and, and thank God Pavel's a cool enough guy he uh, he said guys. You only need to use that kind of breathing if you're like lifting a maximum weight, okay? You don't have to, like, you know, I'm all about safety, but, you know, come on. So the hissing uh, went down after a little while, so that was nice. But, um, yeah, no, sorry, I got off topic there. But <laughs> from my standpoint as a physiotherapist, I, I have to, uh, there's a caveat attached to that. Most physiotherapists, and I don't want to throw my profession under the bus, but, a lot of physios will, there's an old-fashioned way of doing physiotherapy, and then there's a new way of doing physiotherapy, relatively new. Now, the old-fashioned way was actually born in England after the Second World War, and they needed people to mobilize the soft tissue in these war vets that, like, you know, maybe had a limb blown off or had these terrible injuries, and they had to get these guys functioning again. So physio started out as a branch of the nursing profession, and there's actually a British doctor named James Syriax that invented all these techniques of basically beating the shit out of people to get them moving again. Like, it was all soft tissue work. It was kind of like primitive massage, but worse, right? And and it, it worked so well that physiotherapy actually became its own profession. It spread throughout the world. And uh, now everyone's using machines. Everyone's using ultrasound, laser radio shockwave therapy, all these different things. And the, the I guess you could say the art or the actual work of, of getting in there and breaking down scar tissue in people is being lost. So uh, the, the clinic that I have, we that's kind of our specialty. Like it's all hands-on. And we do some acupuncture and other fancy stuff like that. But I think the most important thing that we do is uh, uh, break down the scar tissue with your hands. And it's not massage in the sense that you're using oil and you're you're rubbing you're actually getting in there and you can actually feel this is trigger pointing it's called isn't it i guess you could call it trigger point because and the neat thing with trigger points is usually where the muscle the adhesion on a muscle occurs is on the trigger point which is also called the motor end point which is where all the nerves insert on the muscle so it's kind of like where the the nerves all connect and they zap that muscle and cause it to contract so that happens to be where the muscle is contracting the most. So, of course, that's where the calcification is going to get laid down when you have repetitive motion in the muscle. And it usually happens in the most annoying muscles. No one ever comes in and says, my God, i got a knot in my bicep. I can't stand it. It's always <laughs> knots in, like in your legs, in your tibialis anterior where you get the shin splints, uh, in the back of the knee, in the neck. and the sh All these little short I had muscles. it for 
I had it's so painful as well to have it trigger pointed properly. I had it on my at the top of my gastrocnemius where it meets the the full calf, the, mm. where it meets the soleus, where the soleus and the yep. gastrocnemius meet each other. Yep. That was horrific, and physios getting thumbs and all sorts in there with it. It was biting the edge of the table with it. Oh, it's awful. Now, the technique I use is uh, we do a lot of frictions. So what that allows you to do is use a little bit less pressure. And so instead of going with the muscle and like really pressing down hard on that trigger point in order to overwhelm the nervous system and hopefully get that muscle to relax a little bit, you're actually getting in there and you can actually, you can feel it, the patient can feel it, you can feel these calcifications like breaking down. And it's, and when it totally breaks down, you get this complete rush of just like, oh, oh my God, that feels better. And then like you when someone on. cracks your back? What's that? Like when somebody cracks your back for you? Almost the same kind of feeling, yeah, except you pay the price because you have to bite the pillow until that finally <laughs> lets go of it. You can really regulate the amount of pain the person's going through by your pressure. So you want to apply just enough pressure so that the person can tolerate it, but not so much that they're, they can't not tense up. So it's a really neat way to do it. I, it's like dental hygiene for your body, right? Like if you go into a, <laughs> the dentist and you've got a big chunk of tartar on your tooth, you can brush and floss all you want, but in so, until someone gets in there with their little uh, metal hook yeah. and scrapes that off for you, it just it sits there for years and years. So that's why I wonder about your calves. Hey, I wonder if there's not uh, in your knees. I wonder if there's not a lot of calcifications around your kneecaps and around your your ca- deep in your calves and stuff like that. So my knees uh, probably, but um, I, I was misdiagnosed for ages on my calves, and I, I'm pretty sure it's compartment syndrome. Looking at the the symptoms that I've got and uh, what I've managed to read up on it. And I've had yeah. some inserts from my, from my trainers and stuff. It just doesn't seem to be helping. And obviously, I've got a massive reluctance to even try running because I'll get five, 600 metres in and I'll be in agony. My, um, my foot completely locks in, in the flex position and I can't bend it. So I'm, it's almost like running with casts on, on my ankles. Yeah. Um, the calf completely swells up because... It's like getting an erection almost, but in your calf, isn't it? Because the blood fills up and can't leave um, right, yeah. in the lower calf and in the upper calf, and it's so painful to touch. Um, and it, it goes down once your heart rate relaxes a little bit, and once you've stopped exercising, it goes down. Uh, but it's it's like a it's probably like a seven or an eight in terms of like out of ten in pain yeah. uh, until it goes down. It's horrific, honestly. Yeah, it sounds like. Um... Now, has anyone suggested like doing a release on that? I've been to a physio over in England that didn't seem interested in the slightest. It was um, an NHS one, which is a free one over here, uh, and she told me to stretch. And I'm like, I've been stretching it for years. Yeah, that won't really help. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Hmm. Um, well, and I think surgery would be a little bit drastic too. Hey? The surgery that that you get for this as well. I think they cut you open from knee to ankle on both sides, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that, look, that looks I've pretty sore. had it done. I, uh... And don't they perforate, because the muscle's in a sack, isn't it? I believe they perforate a sack so the blood can flow out of it and that mm-hmm. essentially lets you be able to exercise with it. I'd be up for doing it because it's not like I'm not going to miss running for six weeks or something while, while I recover. I'm not <laughs> doing any. I would check into that because if it is... And it does sound exactly like compartment syndrome. Uh, the fascia around that muscle is, 
you can't really do much about it, right? I mean, you've got such big, thick muscles and you've got this tight fascia that as soon as that muscle gets pumped up with blood, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a star pick. It's like having a heart attack in your shins. Yeah. I, I can't describe how painful it is to people. Like, I've gone running with my wife. I've gone running with my son occasionally. Not recently, but maybe in the last you know, eight, nine, ten months or something like that. I've gone and I've tried and I've gone, right, let's just have a go. Let's see how far I can get. And what I end up having to do is I end up having to do tabatas almost. If I go and do like a, a two-mile run, I have to let them just carry on and I'll stop and I'll go, right, I'm going to run to that lamppost and then stop. And I'll sprint from lamppost to lamppost to eventually get me home. Otherwise, I won't be able to get home. I'd have to walk. Because <laughs> for some reason, sprinting isn't as bad as um, like steady-state running for it, which I can't understand, but it's not as painful for some reason. Well, I think the pumping action of sprinting probably squishes that blood back out, back up to your heart before it can accumulate. Whereas running, you it's a lower intensity. The gravity is forcing that blood deeper and deeper into those muscle tissues. And then by the time it, it gets stuck in there, it takes a while to drain out. So Yeah, I suppose that's a good point, actually, yeah. I think I, that would be my theory. <laughs> so that's too bad. But yeah, I would definitely look into getting that surgery because, heck, you might be able to run again. I'd do it, actually. It does look painful, and you get a, a gnarly scar from it on both sides of yep. both legs, obviously. Um, it yes. looks like it's it's a wheelchair job for at least a couple of weeks, I think. But you know, I work from home for the most part. I could probably handle it if I, if I had to. It's not like it would massively affect me, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think the doctors over here are reluctant for me to just go in and for me to tell them what I've got. They'd be like, no, no, it's it's something else. Let's let's look into seventy five other things that don't involve surgery first. So I don't yeah. know what I do. I don't know if I have to go private for that. I might have to. Yeah, I I know I've talked to a few people that live. You know what? It's the same here though too. If you go uh, to a state funded physio place, you're not you get what you pay for, unfortunately. <laughs> and when it's free, you're getting fuck all. <laughs> 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 that is true yeah so talk to me about your plans for your youtube channel um i'm, I'm no expert but i i do work in the the world of youtube we might be able to help you out here well my the the idea behind my channel is really to hopefully provide people with some easy to follow instructions so that if they decide to do kettlebells whether they get my video or not they can uh, do it properly without hurting themselves. And I try to make the videos so I, I had them edited by these, these kids that are just brilliant. And uh, <laughs> because I didn't want to have a lot of ums and ahs and a lot of like dead space. Because I've watched some YouTube videos where I'm like, oh my God, really? So uh, I try to make them so they're fast paced. There's a lot of information packed into a very short span of time. And I did them on a beach in Hawaii when we were uh, there on holidays. You're and, picking yeah, some top locations, aren't you? I'm really lucky. I <laughs> My in-laws have a place in Hawaii, and uh, so I just have to pay for the plane ticket. I'm, <laughs> sometimes I can't believe how lucky I am. And, uh, yeah, so it's – and so the videos aren't it's, – it's not like it's in my gym, which would be horrible, right? So, um, yeah, so it's nice to look at, and – 
I had the sound cleaned up, so it's pretty easy to follow. And I've sort of all the tips and tricks that I've sort of learned because I treat like I teach a lot of people how to do kettlebells that probably shouldn't be doing kettlebells, but they somehow make it through. Like there's a lot of people that come to my class that are in their 50s and 60s that haven't exercised for years, and they manage to catch on. So uh, I think I have like some little tips and tricks that I've learned over the years that seem to work for most people. So if people are stuck, say, doing the windmill or whatever – there might be a trick in there that you'll find that make a big difference with uh, sometimes it's just a little tiny tweak to your form. So, so my, my uh, intentions are noble with my YouTube channel. I'm really trying to just help people uh, do kettlebells and and hopefully maybe people like it so much. They'll say, well, I'm going to try this guy's video out. And so of course I put links to uh, how to get my video there as well. So my main goal with the videos were to break even, which I think I've done by now. So um, it's more of a, like a really fun thing for me. And, uh, yeah, I just want people to do well and have a workout that they can just plug in and turn their brain off and, you know, kick their own butt. Right. There's, there's some unbelievable fitness accounts on YouTube. Um, uh, the likes of like Elliot Hulse, uh, and other guys that, um, do some awesome Q and a stuff. Um, if you was putting stuff on, that was like, I don't know, if you broke down every single move, I'm pretty sure that would be easy to do in a, in a day or two. And um, the good thing about YouTube is it's the second biggest search engine in the world. So as long as the titles, you know, um, here's how you do a Turkish get-up, or how to do a um, windmill, how to do you know, a, a kettlebell swing, that sort of stuff would go down awesome on YouTube and would probably end up with hundreds of thousands of hits, if not millions um, because of the um, because of the genre that it's in, because people are literally searching that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, you need to grow a subscriber base before it's going to be showing your channel ahead of all the rest of them. But I'm yeah. pretty sure um, with people that you've worked with, and especially with the likes of Joe, if you if you went on there and said, "Hey, guess what? I've got a YouTube channel. Come and subscribe to me," it'd probably get fucking swamped. I might be able to help you out with about fifty hits, maybe. But I think Joe would probably send tens of thousands your way. <laughs> but I, but I, I think fitness on YouTube, I think there's a, there's a lot of scope for, for experts like yourself to really make a, a big impact in there because of the nature of YouTube. And you obviously know what you're talking about. The videos that you make are really easy to follow. And it, it's not like you're going to get one person to watch it once. I go back and watch your videos, even though it's not on your channel, although I will be going to your channel from now on. Um, <laughs> People go back and watch them again and again. I might watch it three times a week um, while I work out alongside it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. That's, yeah, yeah, like the videos that people took that put on YouTube, like initially I was uh, I was like, it was like a compliment. Well, oh, you like my video enough to put it on YouTube for me? Wow, thanks. <laughs> and I still kind of look at it that way. But I, I do want to get a hold of these guys and say, hey, you know, like <laughs> – Thanks for doing this. Do you mind just directing people towards my channel? So at least if they're going to do this video off YouTube, they can learn how to do it properly. Yeah. And I think as long as, you know, we're all tr just trying to help other people, I think it'll all work out really well in the end. I think so. I think you've got, uh, like you said, you've, you've done classes for, for ages. Uh, and I agree that that is definitely something that's more aimed, aimed at women or more suitable for women. I just, I'm just trying to think of, 
like in my own experience, like would any of my friends go to a group class? And I, I don't, I don't know if any of my male friends would. I can definitely see females that I know doing that, and yeah. I think that that's something that they really enjoy doing with all their friends. But I think yeah. lads will work out either on their own or uh, with one gym mate that they go to the gym with. Um, yeah. So I think doing classes like this online, and especially, I mean. I've had my kettlebell about six years. It's got one chip on the corner of it where uh, it hit a bit of concrete. But apart from that, it's it's, it's never going to not work, is it? It's, it's, yeah. it's the most durable bit of fitness equipment you could ever have. The handle's nice and fat. The, the, the bell itself <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's happy days. It's cast iron. It's, you know, it's indestructible, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a bit of kit that's literally going to last longer than I am by a long way. Yeah, and you know, I do take my kettlebell with me. Uh, I've had some epic workouts in hotel rooms. I mean, it's crazy. You know, they, right in between the two beds, there's only enough room basically to stand. And I've had some, yeah, some great uh, training sessions in like really small spaces. So, yeah, I usually pack it in the back of the vehicle whenever we go somewhere. So, You've, um, you've worked with some MMA fighters as well, haven't you? I've done a little bit of work uh, with... Jason McDonald lives in uh, my city, and he was uh, middleweight. He did really well for himself. This would have been a few years ago. Um, uh, I want to think it was about 2010, 2012, maybe. He was yeah, active. yeah, around there. Jason the Athlete McDonald, and uh, <laughs> now he is like an absolute CrossFit god. Uh, he does a lot of teaching, and he has a CrossFit gym here in town. Um, but that was an appropriate name for him because he is one heck of an athlete. And he didn't come from a fighting background. He actually came from, uh, I think he was like a really high-level volleyball player. Um, and he just is just such a really good athlete that I think that enabled him to do quite well at that time. Because um, he didn't have like that sort of base tech. He didn't grow up fighting. Hmm. So... That would have helped. I've just pulled up his record. He's got some unbelievable names. He's, he's mostly lost to him, to be fair to him, but he's got yep. Rich Franklin, Yushin Akami, Damian Meyer, um, Tom Lawler's on there, Travis Luter, Nate Quarry, um, yeah. some Alan Belcher, some absolutely monster names. Yeah, so you, you was working with him, um, well, on his, literally just doing kettlebells with him. Or was he yeah, another sort of his strength and conditioning? Yeah, he, uh, yeah, we did. Uh, a few sessions just to give him a bit of a taste of kettlebell training and, uh, you know, give him an alternative way to get his cardio up for the, I think this was, would have been back in maybe 2010, like when he was this, he kind of had made a breakthrough. Mm. So, and I've known him for before that, like I, we don't hang out all the time, but like I would say he's my buddy. (laughs) So, uh, and you know, to be honest, he doesn't like kettlebells. Like he told me that he said, you know, I hate kettlebells now, Keith, I'm, I'm not going to do them ever again. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like he, I don't know what it is about kettlebells, but he just, he didn't love them. And I remember I did, I took him through one workout and he's a much better athlete than me, but I'm just better at kettlebells because I've been doing them for so long. And, <laughs> and I kind of pushed him and through this training session, he, uh, at the end, he goes, okay, well, you kicked my ass. Now it's my turn to kick your ass. So we did a little bit of jujitsu, and it was like one of those cartoons where the cat is playing with the mouse and uh, <laughs> laying on its back and flipping the little mouse up in the air. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was at his mercy. And he's got these hands that are 
like an NBA basketball player's hands. And he grew up on the east coast of Canada and from a fisherman's family. So he pulled in nets all his life when he was a kid. Oh, so he's got, got forearms like a gorilla. Yeah. Yeah, his grip strength is insane. And if you watch a lot of his fights, he used that to his advantage. Like he would actually use... Oh, just lost you. Because a lot of people don't have big enough hands to accomplish that. So I used to love watching him fight because I thought he's using his grip strength again. He's using his hand strength to really do things that a lot of other people can't do with the jiu-jitsu. So, um, oh, yeah, he'll just, just for fun, he'll grab your leg and he'll just <clears throat> drop on the floor. It's just like a taser. Just like he'll grab your quad and just boom, right down. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. But he did he did some kettlebell training with me, but... It wasn't his favorite uh, mode of exercise. So, I can see that. Can you see kettlebells being useful for people as they get old? Because I've been thinking, you don't often, you don't see people who are old now, and I'm talking like seventy plus. As uh, you don't see them of having grown up doing weights. Really, people growing up doing weights kind of since the eighties. Really, I think, haven't they? I think when, that's when yeah. people started hitting gyms and stuff. I would like to think I'm going to do jujitsu till I'm in my seventies, if I last that long. Uh, you yeah. don't see many people my size in the 70s, so there's a good chance that I don't reach my 70s. But I would like to think that doing jiu-jitsu is a, a way to stay young. Do you think doing kettlebells, um, I think you'd have to drop down weight. I don't, I don't see myself yeah. doing a 20 kg over my head at overhead squats when I'm uh, 70, but do you think kettlebells is a way to stay young? Do you think doing weights is a way to stave off aging? Yeah, I think it's the ultimate way. I mean, if you look at like people that actually legitimately on a consistent basis lift weights they look awesome like they they look uh their bodies look so much better than uh someone the same age let's say 70 that has been a marathon runner all their life yeah you know like they look they and there there's certainly your hormonal profiles uh optimized when you lift weights and uh, your muscle mass. So your muscle mass is so important for your metabolism and your hor- uh, your hormones, your uh, immune system, all these things. So I think weightlifting is the ultimate. I think it should be the cornerstone of an anti-aging program. And then, you know, the other things go along with it. But it should be the foundational exercise for that. So I look at old people and a lot of old people, especially when they hit 70s and 80s, they've got that stoop going on where the, the head's, looking at the ground as the permanent position, they're shuffling their feet and you think, is there any way to, if they would have done weights, do you think that would be different? Would I do. It's depending, like if they just did chest and arms, maybe not, <laughs> but if they actually had like a, a sensible program that involved overhead pressing and, and that's the great thing with the kettlebells, right? You could, you can do, for people that don't want to go to the gym and have a formalized gym program to practice things like you can't do a Turkish getup without good shoulder mobility and mm. you can't and thoracic mobility and the ability to have flexibility in your hips and everything to be yeah. able to kick your feet back. Yeah. I, I think, I think kettlebells are the most practical way to stay young in terms of using weights for that purpose. Um, I guess the one thing to watch for is, you know, the technique, right? So, But, you know, the the thing with it, the the other thing I love about kettlebells is you're using a relatively light weight. So you can have a little bit of wiggle room with your technique and you're not going to kill yourself. It's not like you, you Olympic lift, so you know 
technique is everything there. I mean, in terms of staying safe. Yeah. And because you're lifting some really substantial weights really fast, kettlebells, like you know, like there's a lot of these women they use a 10 kilogram weight, which isn't bad, but that's not a ton of weight. I am scared know? of dropping it on my toes when my hands get sweaty, though. <laughs> that is definitely. I've never seen it happen though. I'm gonna put on that one. I've never seen that happen. I always also envisage it, and it actually has slipped out of my hand when I've been doing a one-handed swings because I get a bit giddy sometimes and do one-handed swings, and it slipped out of my hands on the changeover <laughs> during your changeover from one to the other midair, and I've I've misgrasped it and I've uh, oh, yeah. I've smashed the the floor because obviously twenty kilogram hitting the floor from I don't know chest height does make a fucking dent like, but I, I have um, slipped and not been able to grab it properly with sweaty hands uh, by doing the changeovers mid-air. I th- but I suppose yeah, that's, you don't need to be doing mid-air changeovers, do you? You could probably put it down and start again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's a, but you did the right thing, right? They taught us that in, in kettlebells. They just, if you lose control of the kettlebell at that point, just let it go. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to try and stop it with my foot. Jesus. <laughs> 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 or try to reach out and grab it, yeah. That's, uh... No, it was gone. It was gone. It smashed the shit out of the floor, though. <laughs> yeah, that moment. And that just goes to show you how much momentum is going on your body every time you do a swing, right? If it does that to the floor, you can imagine the force that you're putting on your uh, the rest of your body. I, I think Pavel used a lot of force plate uh, studies when he was... Um, you know, kettlebells are becoming more popular. And it's insane how much uh, force goes through your feet at the bottom of a swing. Like it's- well, I, uh, I filmed myself. Not, I didn't film my, myself entirely. I just filmed my feet because I'm trying to get interesting shots for my vlog. Like the day before, I, I put the camera in the fridge and spoke to the camera while it was in the fridge. Um, <laughs> so yesterday, I just did it from basically like the top of where your sock would come to. Um, and... Uh, and just did a, a couple of um, cleans. And I was noticing once I played the video back, the amount my feet are moving around, compensating for the shift in the weight as, I, as the weight's going up and down, I never even realized. Obviously, I'm not looking at my feet as I'm doing it. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's really quite mad because my feet are the only thing in shot for a couple of seconds. So you're focusing <laughs> on them going like, oh my God, what, what are you doing? Like, But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely... It's, it's awesome for core strength. I think it's, it's awesome for jujitsu in terms of your grip strength and in terms of you you've been able to to sit up and force somebody off you when they're on you as well. I think uh, I, I do love them. I think it's something I would like to do for a, a long time if um, if my joints hold up. Yeah, well, and I think they should, and I think they are. The weight is scalable. That is the nice thing about it. So, you know, I'm probably in another ten years. I'll probably have to scale down to the 16 kilo to do my video and who knows right i mean i know some old-time power lifters that are still lifting tremendous amounts of weight and so but yeah the time will come where we'll have to downgrade the load a little bit but geez you know compared to what you'd be like if you didn't do this kind of thing i i just you're so far ahead of the game if you're doing something like kettlebells on a regular basis it's just i got my um i got my wife a 10 kg one Um, oh perfect uh, and when I've not had mine around, um, it's at her parents' house. So if we've stayed at her parents' house and I've gone, oh, I'll just, I'll just do a workout with this, it feels like I'm doing a workout with nothing. Uh, the 10kg versus my 20kg one's absolutely pathetic. And I even got my son a 4kg yeah. one. He's nine years old, um, although I don't know where that is at the moment. Um, but he was doing some stuff with that. He was doing um, clean and presses with it. 
And I think that was pretty good for him to be in. 4KD is nothing. It's not putting too much stress on him, I don't think. But nope. yeah, I would love... Um, I would love him to get into him um, as he starts getting into high school and stuff. I think athletically, it's going to make him a lot more powerful for all of his sports and stuff. If he was, uh, if he was doing something like that, especially I don't want him doing uh, ego weights, you know, aesthetic weights. There's no point yeah. to that. I'd rather if you're going to do weights, do squats, deadlifts, and throw a kettlebell round. And I think you're probably halfway there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think uh, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because I a lot of people I get questions on you know what's the perfect program or how often should I do kettlebells and I you know I always say you know I love kettlebells but if you look at me on the second video that's me doing kettlebells only and it's I think there's a a place for compound lifting and like that four to six repetition lifting in conjunction with doing the higher reps of kettlebells so I think they mold in well and I think if you just do kettlebells uh you're leaving a few like that brute strength. You're leaving a gap there in your training. So I like the rush that I get from doing things like deadlifts and squats. When I re rack it and the bar shakes and like the whole gym floor <laughs> shakes and stuff, I get a real, I get a proper ego boost off doing stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the 20 kg kettlebell when I put it down makes a bit of a thud, but nothing like when 240 or 250 hits the mat like. Yeah, no, I can imagine some of the weights you're lifting, the bars bent over your back, and you're uh, making quite a racket in the gym there. So, one of the um, I was taking M1T, which um, got banned not long after I was taking it, which is some sort of pro hormone. I don't think it's steroids, and it's not really a normal supplement you can get. Um, it's a bit of a gray area, or it was at the time. So it wasn't illegal for me to take it, but it was certainly not really like recommended um, yeah. when I was in Afghanistan. And I remember there was a big American gym in Afghanistan and I was doing bench press and it seemed like every time I went to the gym, I wasn't doing bench press, I was doing flies. Every time I went to the gym, I could just do more weight, like significant numbers, more weight. And it was weird. It was almost like, yeah, just rack it up. Let's see how far we can go. And it was like, you could do it. Whereas last week you could maybe go up to a certain level. You do an extra 15% and it was almost like it didn't make sense. And I remember sitting there, I'm weighing like 12 stone. Um, what's that? Probably, it's probably, is that 170? That might be 170. Yeah, I think that's 170. So I'm, I'm weighing about 170 and I've got a 95 pound dumbbell in each hand and I'm thinking, this is fucking ridiculous. And as I was sat there with it, it was the big sort of thin um, solid ones, the, the solid block of dumbbell. Oh yeah. And it came above my shoulder as I was resting it on my knees. And I was like, Ooh. I shouldn't be able to do this. And I remember there was people walking past me in the gym like, the fuck is he doing with them? And I got about six, six reps out of it. And I was like, yep. And after I threw them, like, it was a wooden floor. So like, the whole gym shook after I'd done them. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stop taking this stuff because this, <laughs> this is some dodgy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, no, there's no doubt. That must have been legit stuff. Yeah, some definitely some powerful shit that was. It was good though. <laughs> I tried to find it not long ago and it's gone. They don't sell it no more. Because <laughs> oh, <dang it. laughs> I'd, I'd set the shit out of it right now if I could. Because it was absolutely <laughs> magic and there's no one piss testing me at the moment. Well, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> right, I think we'll leave it there. This has been an awesome okay. chat. Hopefully the, the viewers oh. have enjoyed it. If you want to know more about what Keith does, I'm just pulling up your Twitter here. Uh, I think it's Weber Physio, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, uh, Weber Physio, yeah. Weber Physio with one B. Um, that's Keith Weber. Search Keith Weber on Google. Search him on YouTube. Search him everywhere you want to search him. Um, go and check his videos out. Go and give him a subscribe on YouTube. Uh, this has been an awesome chat. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, anything that you want to plug, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, I think my extreme <clears throat> extremekettlebells.com is on my uh, on my Twitter account. Uh, but that's my landing page where you can get my videos. And then from there, you can go to my YouTube channel and uh, just it says see more videos. And you can see my instructional videos. So you can uh, try before you buy. And, yeah, learn how to do kettlebells even if you don't get my videos. So. Yeah, get, get on there. Get on um, get on his YouTube if you like them. And then you can buy the video. I think you can buy it on onit.com as well, can't you? You can. If you want a really good deal and you're in England and you don't want to wait forever for a DVD, you can just go to onit.com and I think it's $5 to get the first two videos on digital download. Check that out. That's and an awesome deal. It is a great deal and it makes me feel like, oh man. But you know what? I'm Like I said, I'm broken even. So uh, yeah, the more people that do my videos, the more hopefully fit people there will be out there. So uh, I just think it's great. The technology allows people to just you know click on something and they they have it right there yeah it's, it is awesome it's, it's fantastic the videos are great go check the videos out thank you to keith for your time go check him out go subscribe go follow him on twitter uh, once again thank you for joining us mate and um thank you to you guys for listening see you later see you oh 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 o'reilly you need parts o'reilly auto parts has parts Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.